September 10th. Our reading of the New Testament today takes place in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 16 through 33, where we're going to see that Paul compares himself to a father with obligations to his spiritual children, and he offers protection. Spiritual leaders must protect the church from false teachers who are like suitors trying to seduce the church from devotion to Christ. Beware losing your love for Christ and for those who helped you trust the Savior. And he'll speak about provision. Paul had the right to receive financial support at Corinth, but he laid it aside and sacrificed for them in love. We'll read about suffering. Paul mentioned his sufferings only to defend the gospel and the authority of his ministry. The false teachers bragged about their triumphs, but Paul boasted about his trials. William Tipple wrote that the principle of sacrifice is that we choose to do or to suffer what, apart from our love, we should not choose to do or suffer. When love is returned, this sacrifice is the most joyful thing in the world, and heaven is the life of joyful sacrifice. But in a selfish world, it must be painful, and the pain is the source of triumph. And now let's begin reading today in the New Testament. September 10th, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 through 33. Once again, don't think that I, Paul, have lost my wits to talk like this. But even if you Corinthians do, listen to me, as you would to a foolish person, while I also boast a little. Such bragging is not something the Lord wants. But I am acting like a fool. And since others boast about their human achievements, I will too. After all, you who think you are so wise, enjoy listening to fools. You put up with it when they make you their slaves, take everything you have, take advantage of you, put on airs, and slap you in the face. I am ashamed to say that we were not strong enough to do that. But whatever they dare to boast about... I'm talking like a fool again. I can boast about it, too. They say they are Hebrews, do they? So am I. And they say they are Israelites? So am I. And they are descendants of Abraham? So am I. They say they serve Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in jail more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jews gave me thirty-nine lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled many weary miles. I have faced danger from flooded rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on stormy seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be Christians, but are not. I have lived with weariness and pain, and sleepless nights. Often I have been hungry and thirsty, and have gone without food. Often I have shivered with cold, without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this... I have the daily burden of how the churches are getting along. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? 
who is led astray, that I do not burn with anger? If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows I tell the truth. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Aretas kept guards at the city gates to catch me. But I was lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall, and that's how I got away. I don't think there's any more important text in all of the New Testament that defines the work of Jesus than this one. That Jesus was sent to fulfill all righteousness. And what that meant to the Jew was to obey every jot and tittle of the law. Because now Jesus is not acting in his baptism for himself, but for his people. And if his people are required to keep the Ten Commandments, he keeps the Ten Commandments. If his people are now required to submit to this baptismal ritual, he submits to it in their behalf. Because the redemption that is brought by Christ is not restricted to his death on the cross. We've seen that in the work of redemption, God didn't send Jesus to earth on Good Friday and say, die for the sins of your people, and that'll take care of it. No, Jesus not only had to die for our sins, but he had to live for our righteousness. If all Jesus did was die for your sins, that would remove all of your guilt, and that would leave you sinless in the sight of God but not righteous. You would be innocent, but not righteous because you haven't done anything to obey the law of God, which is what righteousness requires. So we have a doctrine in theology that refers to the active obedience of Jesus as distinguished from the passive obedience. And this doctrine is in great dispute right now, particularly among dispensational thinkers, which I find extremely, extremely unsettling. The passive obedience of Christ refers to his willingness to submit to the pain that is inflicted upon him by the Father on the cross in the atonement. He passively receives the curse of God there. The active obedience refers to his whole life of obeying the law of God, whereby he qualifies to be the Savior. He qualifies to be the Lamb without blemish. He qualifies for the song, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, through his total righteousness. He fulfills the law's demands, and if you remember the, the covenant with Moses, everybody who fulfills the law receives the blessing. Those who d d disobey the law receives the curse. What does Jesus do? He obeys the law perfectly, 
receives the blessing and not the curse. But there's a double imputation that we will look at later at the cross, where my sin is transferred to his account. My sin is carried over and laid upon him in the cross. But in our redemption, his righteousness is imputed to us, which righteousness he wouldn't have if he didn't live this life of perfect obedience. So what I'm saying to you is that his life of perfect obedience is just as necessary for our salvation as his perfect atonement on the cross, because there's double imputation. My sin to him, his righteousness to me, so that that is what the scripture is getting at when it says Jesus is our righteousness. Psalm 54, verses 1 through 7. David had not bothered the Ziphites, yet they turned against him to win favor with King Saul. The world does not love God's people, and even strangers will create problems for you while you seek to serve the Lord. Do what David did. Pray for God to take charge, protect you, and vindicate you against your enemies. God hears and God helps. When the answer comes, be sure you take time to praise the Lord. Psalm 54, verses 1 through 7. For the choir director, a meditation of David. Regarding the time the Ziphites came and said to Saul, We know where David is hiding, to be accompanied by stringed instruments. Come with great power, O God, and rescue me. Defend me with your might. O God, listen to my prayer. Pay attention to my plea. For strangers are attacking me. Violent men are trying to kill me. They care nothing for God. But God is my helper. The Lord is the one who keeps me alive. May my enemies' plans for evil be turned against them. Do as you promised, and put an end to them. I will sacrifice a voluntary offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For you will rescue me from my troubles, and help me to triumph over my enemies. Proverbs 23 Verses 1-3 through three. When dining with a ruler, pay attention to what is put before you. If you are a big eater, put a knife to your throat, and don't desire all the delicacies. Deception may be involved. <laughs> 